Back in uh, many years ago, it was in the, the late fall of 1988, the church I was pastoring, a man uh, who was in our church, his family was in our church, began to have a lot of heart problems. And by early uh, 1989, they realized that, that uh, bypass surgery, medicine, stents, none of that was going to help him. In fact, the only way he was going to live much longer was he was going to have to have a heart transplant. He, he was going to have to have his heart taken out and a new heart put in. So if you've ever walked through that process with somebody, it is, uh, it is a tedious and tough process because they're, they're basically waiting to die and someone else has to die for them to get their heart. So he finally moved down to Houston near the medical center where the hospitals were. And I got a call one Sunday night before church, late August of that year. They said, when church is over, you need to get down here. We believe we have a heart for Bob. So I got down there about 10 o'clock. And I got to walk into that post-operating room probably about 20, 30 minutes after he had had this surgery. And I'll never forget going in there. And he's hooked up to all these machines. And just looking at he's got a new heart. He's got a brand new heart. And, and it gave him a new lease on life. It gave him many more years, many more good years of life when he got a new heart. And this morning, we're going to talk about getting a new heart. And that, I, I'm going to tell you, this is the most important thing that there is, period. We're in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter, or excuse me, Romans 10, Romans 1 plus 9, Uh, equals 10, Romans 10. And I want to begin with this. God wants you to have a new heart. God wants you to have a new heart. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it begins, it says, Brothers, my desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. My wife was cutting someone's hair years ago, and while while she's cutting their hair, she asked this lady if she was saved, and the lady said, saved? Saved is a Baptist word. That's not a word that that my religion or my beliefs buy into. Let me remind you, when someone has sharp instruments near your ears, be polite, amen? I mean, that's intelligence. But uh, I don't think my wife cut her ear or anything, but what she did explain to her is saved is not a Baptist word or a Methodist. Methodist word or a Presbyterian word. It's a God word. He says in this passage, I pray that they may be saved. The word saved means rescued or delivered. In other contexts, it could be like a lifeguard pulling someone out of a swimming pool or a fireman pulling someone out of a house. And this context here, it's talking about spiritually. It's talking about God saving you and me, God rescuing you and me from a wasted life here on this earth, from the ravages of sin left unchecked in our hearts. From an eternity spent in hell instead of heaven with God. That God wants to save us. And folks, the word save and getting a new heart are synonymous. God wants to give you a new heart. God wants to save you. God wants to create in you a new person. And that is extremely important to buy into. Listen to verse 10. Paul says, my heart's desire, my passion, my plea. His heart was broken for these people. And I want to tell you, this is God's heart. This isn't just Paul's heart. This is God's heart for you today. Now, some of you, I know you're saying, well, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard this before. I know all this, yada, yada, yada. Listen, you may know everything. You may have heard this 10,000 times, but this may be the Sunday. God wakes you up and you give your heart to him. So don't, don't blow this off. This is God's greatest desire for you is that you get this new heart. 
In 2 Peter 3, 9, I love this verse. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. It's talking about the second coming. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, God's greatest desire for you this morning is not that your husband is nicer to you. God's greatest desire is not that your wife is nicer to you. And you may greatly need a nicer husband or wife this morning. I'm not denying that need at all. Your greatest need is not more money. Your greatest need is to be sure that you have this new heart that God wants to give you. It's a heart. When you get it, it's fresh today, and it's going to be fresh 10,000 years from now in heaven. But here's the dilemma and the problem. Many of us are counting on the wrong things to save us. God wants us to be saved. God wants to give us a new heart. But the problem with many religious people 2,000 years ago, and many people probably in this room or watching on the Internet today, the problem with us, we're counting on the wrong things to get us to heaven. In verse 2, he says, I can testify about them. Paul's talking about his fellow Jewish people. They're zealous for God, but they're zealous not based on, their zeal is not based on knowledge. They're fired up for God's what Paul's saying. But they're counting on their bloodline. They're counting on the wrong things to get them to heaven. Listen, if, if we were to go around this morning and ask you very seriously, do you want to go to heaven? Only a, a lunatic would say they didn't. But what are you counting on to get you there? I'm going to give you two things that the, the people 2,000 years ago Paul was addressing were counting on. And the strange but, but wonderful thing in the Bible is so relevant. This is what many of us are counting on too. I want to ask you this. Are you counting on your good and religious behavior to get you there? See, a lot of people say, well, I'm a good religious person. I'm a moral person. In verse 3 and 4, Paul says, Since they did not know the righteousness, the rightness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own rightness. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. They said, listen, we're going to decide how we're going to get to heaven. And God's saying, no, you're not. In verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness, rightness for everyone who believes. A lot of Old Testament here. In fact, in almost every verse, he's referring back to something in the Old Testament. We don't have time to go into all that today, but it's interesting. And in verse 5, Moses described in this way the righteousness that's by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. That's literally a quote from Leviticus 18.5. And it was a misunderstanding that the Jewish people had of this scripture that was leading many of them away from God. That scripture says, if you want a, a positive and a good and healthy life, live by the, the laws of God. That scripture didn't say, if you obey the laws of God, you're going to end up in heaven someday. If you're a good person, you're going to end up in heaven someday. See, here's what they were doing, these people 2,000 years ago. They said, man, we're good Jewish people. We've walked the walk. We've walked the talk. We're moral. We're going to get to heaven because of that. And the problem this morning with many of us is we think because we're, we're good. And by the way, have you ever noticed you can always find somebody worse than you? I want to tell you, in every prison in America today, somebody today, some prisoners looking across going, that, that prisoner over there is sorry. <laughs> you can always find somebody worse than you. You absolutely can. What about your religion Hey, have you been baptized? Have you been sprinkled? Have you joined a church? All those are great things. 
Those are not things that are going to get you to heaven. Muhammad Ali was one of the greatest boxers ever. He was a heavyweight, but he moved like he was a lightweight. I mean, he was fast. He was powerful. He was a tremendous boxer. Several years ago in Reader's Digest, he was interviewed, and he was asked about his relationship to God. And do you think he'd get to heaven? Here's what he said. He said, I think some days when you stand before God, that God's going to weigh your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other. If your good deeds are more, you go to heaven. If your bad deeds are more, you go to hell. I loved him as a fighter. I don't like him as a Bible teacher. <laughs> That's just not true. Are you counting this morning? Are you counting on the fact that you're better than your roommate? Are you better than your husband or your wife? You're more moral? That you've lived out your religion, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, non-denom, whatever it is, well... If you're counting on those things, those are not going to get you to heaven. They don't, get, they don't give you a new heart. Here's the second thing that many people are counting on, and that's on their good deeds. It's a little bit different. Not only in their good behavior and moral behavior, but on their good deeds. Verse 3, they didn't know the righteousness, the rightness that comes from God, so they made up their own. They decided how, how the law should be, how it should be. And God says it just doesn't work that way. They felt like because they were better than people, they were Jewish, they were religious, that, hey, that took care of business. Some of them meme up the ante and said, you know what? If I do religious things, I do good things, if I bless people, if I'm helpful, God's going to see that, and I'm going to get to heaven because of that. Some of you are counting on that too. How many of you know who Warren Buffett is? I call him Uncle Warren. He's my uncle. I'm just teasing. I wish he was. Uncle Warren is worth billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. If you're not good in math, that means that he's got a lot of money. June 2006, he gave $30.7 billion, $30.7 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, here's something that's funny to me. Why would a billionaire give billions of dollars to another billionaire's foundation? Isn't that kind of goofy? Give it to the Grambling football team, amen? Give it to First Baptist. Listen, I mean, come on. And here's what Warren Buffett said. And by the way, I think, that, man, that's awesome. What a generous gift. Here's what he said. He goes, there's got to be many ways to get to heaven, and this is certainly one. I want to tell you, Warren's going to be disappointed someday. That's not the truth. We're getting ready to build a new children's building over here. It's going to cost $5 million. We've already said someone, someone gives $2.5 million to it. We'll name the building after it. It'll be the Zach Yates building. We'll put Zach's picture all over the building. Zach can write the check. It'll bounce, but he can write it. <laughs> and that would be awesome. That building will change lives forever. It really will. But you know what? That's not going to get you to heaven. That's not going to get you to heaven. I want to ask you this morning... Are you counting on the wrong things? And by the way, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you ever lived. 60% of Americans, Americans, say that you're going to heaven or hell based on your goodness, your good deeds, your righteousness, your acts. It's not true. I want to bring you to the solution this morning. Finding salvation is simple, but it's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. Verse 6 through 8. But the righteousness that is by faith 
says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Here's what that's saying. That's saying, listen, you don't, to, to, to get a new heart, to find that relationship with Jesus that you need, you don't have to try to go to heaven and pull Jesus down. You don't have to go to the grave and pull him up. By the way, he's not there. He's in this room this morning. Did you know that? Some of you are this close to giving your life to Christ. And I want to tell you, it's simple. It's going to be hard, but it's simple. And God's right here waiting to help you do that. Isn't that awesome? He's in the room today. So what do we do? What does it come down to? I want to give you a couple of things. Number one, you've got to believe the right things. Not 50 things, but there's certain things mentally, intellectually, you have to accept. You know who Haley Berry is? Haley Berry's a pretty actress. Haley Berry said this. She said, I believe in God. I just don't know if it's Jehovah of the Old Testament or Allah of of, uh, Islam or if it's Buddha of Buddhism. But I believe in God. I want to tell you, that's not good enough. In verse 9, look what it says. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, here's what you need to believe mentally. This is the first step, not the final step. You've got to accept, you've got to accept in your mind Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've got to accept that he died on that cross for your sins and that he walked out of the tomb. You don't have to understand the book of Revelation. In fact, anybody that tells you they understand the book of Revelation, run from them because they'll lie to you about other things. You don't have to figure out rocket science or nuclear physics, but to get to heaven, you have to accept in your mind, you have to accept in your mind that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and arose for you. I read this quote recently, and I think it's so good, that it's possible... This is where some of you are this morning. It's possible to believe this and not be saved. Can you believe what I just said and not be saved? Absolutely, because there's another step after the mental belief. In fact, that's where a lot of people in the South are. A lot of people in the South, we've heard Jesus so much, we're we're like inoculated against him. But you've got to believe it. You have to believe it. Because, folks, it's impossible to be saved if you don't believe this. You can't go to step two if you don't come to step one. Don't have a vague idea about God. God made himself known in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that he died and arose for us. But here's the second part. We've got to respond properly. We have to respond properly. It begins in your mind, but it doesn't end there. See, when I, when I first went to church and I got baptized, I thought what it meant, I believe in Jesus, he died and arose, amen. Now let's go live any way we want to. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. Let me tell you two things that have to take place after you believe in your mind. Number one, you have to surrender your heart. This is where many of us trip up. Because it's a lot easier if you've got money to give money. It's a lot easier to try to do some nice deeds. It's a lot easier to say, I'm a scoundrel, but my brother is far worse than me. It's tough to surrender your heart. Verse 9 and 10. 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. Your heart is your mind, it's your will, it, it, it is your central being. And here's what God's saying. God's saying if, you, if you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to get a new heart. You have to believe the right things in your mind, but then you've got to surrender your heart and your will to him. You've got to make Jesus Christ your Lord. You see, that's what you're fighting this morning. That's what we're fighting this morning. We want control. Becoming a Christian, it's giving up control. It's giving Jesus the the leadership of your life is what it is. Donald Trump, everybody in here knows Donald Trump. He's been making a lot of uh, headway recently. You know, another billionaire. When you're a billionaire, you can wear your hair any way you want to, correct? I mean, every time I see him on TV, it's like, what? I guess if I had that, I wish I had that hair. I'd swirl it too, I guess. That'd be awesome. Okay, if you're a big Donald Trump supporter, I'm not trying to kick him, but when politicians make religious statements, they're fair game. And here's what he said. He said, I'm a Christian, but I've never confessed my sins. (laughs) That's like me saying I'm a billionaire until you look at my banking account. You can't be a, a billionaire if you don't have the money, amen? You are not a Christian if you haven't at some point bowed your knee to Jesus and said, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Man, I hope Donald Trump gets saved, but there's no salvation. Jesus Christ came saying, follow me and repent. And follow me, there is no salvation apart from bowing your knee and your heart to Jesus Christ. We have to surrender ourselves to Jesus. I know it's tough. And again, many of my Baptist friends out here today, we, we've grown up and just said, well, if we just believe it in our mind and we're, we don't cuss too much or we don't get drunk too often or whatever, we're okay. If Jesus is going to give you a new heart, you've got to say yes to that. John 1.12 is a great verse. And John 1.12, it, it brings together the, the understanding of New Testament believing. It says, to those who received him, surrendered their hearts to him, and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, you've got to surrender yourself to him. Here's the second step in this. You have to publicly confess Jesus as your Lord. You make him Lord... Lord means boss. It means the ruler. It means the one who calls the shots. You make him Lord when you surrender. Some of you old-timers, you remember the old bumper sticker that says, God's my co-pilot. Y'all remember seeing that? God does not want to be your co-pilot. God wants to be the pilot. The Lord of your life is what God wants to be. He says here, when you confess, this is a great, important biblical word. It means thoughtful speech. It means to agree with the truth. Folks, listen, whether you and I believe it or not, the truth is Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I confess him as Lord, I'm saying with my, I believe it, I accept it. It's the truth, and I'm going to declare it that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you what that meant 2,000 years ago. This is going to be a little complicated at first, but stay with me. It's important. The, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And the Greek, the Greek word Lord is a word kuros. 
The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Got a Hebrew Old Testament, a Greek New Testament. By Jesus' day, they had translated the Hebrew Old Testament to Greek. Does that make sense? So you got a Hebrew Old Testament that's Greek because the people that day read Greek. So it's a Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, that word kuros, Lord, hundreds of times, it's used and referred to God the Father as kuros, as Lord. Now in the New Testament, they're saying Jesus Christ is kuros, he's God, he's Lord. That's powerful. Here's another twist on that. Paul lived in a Roman world. Jesus lived in a Roman world. And the Romans worshipped their emperor. They called him kuros. They called him Lord. So here's these Christians, and there's a tiny group of people. And he's telling them, you surrender your heart. We, we want to be religious. We want to do good. We want you surrender your heart, the control of your life to Jesus. You believe in him. You surrender the control of your life in him. And if it's really in you, it's going to come out of you. Folks, 2,000 years ago, for a Jewish person to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is kuros, he's Lord, that's saying he's God. They considered that heresy. You could be stoned to death for that. And stoned to death had nothing to do with marijuana. That was beaten to death with rocks. To say, to say Jesus was Lord was to, was to th- that was like treason. The Roman government could kill you. Do you see, you see, you're embarrassed a little bit to stand up and to pray at a meal or to say Jesus is my Lord. 2,000 years ago, it cost them their life. But he said if Jesus has come into your heart and he's changed your life, you will let the world know. He doesn't want any secret saints, any undercover agents. Man, it's great to see the G-men here today. And I want to tell you, if you're a Grambling fan, you're a Tech fan, let the world know. Amen? Be proud of it. When they lose, you know better than the coaches. You know you have all the answers. And when they win, you support the coaches. They're the greatest in the world. Right, coach? Isn't that how it goes? That's how it is in the preaching world. But you support them. You let people know that you're a fan, and most of us do. You know what? That's awesome. But I want to tell you, it's great to be a fan, but if Jesus is your Lord, you ought to let the world know too. You ought to let the world know too. In fact, Jesus says if it's really happened, you will. When Jesus walked this earth, let's pretend Jesus was here this morning in the flesh. Here's what Jesus did. He would preach to people. He would talk to people. They would get an understanding, if they were willing to listen, that he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Then here's what he would say. I want you to follow me. What that meant was there had to be a surrender of your heart, letting the past go, and that meant publicly you had to get up And you had to go with him. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to you and me this morning. If you want a new heart, it's right here. You can reach out and get it. You got to accept who I am. You got to bow your heart. You got to swallow your pride. And you got to be willing to let the world know Jesus is my Lord. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, I just, man, praise God. Thank God for saving you. 
pray for somebody around you. You're here this morning and you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're unsure of that. If you're ready this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me if you're ready and sincere. And just say, Jesus, man, I confess to you I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And right now, I give you my life. I want to just ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for one, for one more, few more seconds. Head bowed, eyes closed. If you just prayed that with me, and you really, really meant that, would you raise your hands? you raise your hands thank you thank you so much thank you let me have your attention today if you want to join our church if you'd like prayer we welcome you to come but the main thrust of the invitation this morning is this you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you are you ready to do that When we stand, I want to ask you to do something that's hard. I I want to ask you to come this morning and pray with one of our ministers. Let them help you with that decision. But today may be your day that you need to confess to the world Jesus is your Lord. Let's stand.